Disclaimer. The following content is solely the opinions of Red Player, Blue Player. Any similarities to future events are simply coincidental. Welcome to Red Player, Blue Player, a podcast about gaming. How we got here and where we're going. Episode 4, Trading Card Games, Part 3, No Deal on My Side. Hi, I'm Tony, Red Player. And I'm John, Blue Player. And today is the day. This is the last part of our three-part series on trading card games. Whew, what a doozy. It's been a fun ride, and I think that this part honestly is going to be my favorite one because this is all our opinion this is all what we think that's and true if there's nothing i like more than the sound of my own voice <laughs> is hearing my, my own, own opinions rattled on <laughs> in my own voice the sound of my own opinion always and we have some pretty strong opinions i feel like i think so and so for those of you that are just now listening in please Go back two episodes and listen to part one and part two. Spoiler alert, this part is the end. So <laughs> go back and listen to the other two if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to them yet. Also, feel free to give us a subscribe since you're already on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you haven't done so already and want to know when we're putting out more content, the best place to find that information is on our Instagram page. That is... Instagram.com slash red player underscore blue player podcast. We do also have an exciting thing that's happening on Patreon.com. Hmm. We are uploading unedited raw footage of our podcasts. So after we're done recording this, before I touch it any further, I'm going to upload it to Patreon. So whatever mistakes we make are here for you to hear on Patreon. And then I'm also uploading very slowly some of our blooper reels from past episodes that we didn't have the uncut information for. And you can now find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash redplayer underscore blueplayer. And one of the other ways that you can get more content from either myself or Tony is by visiting us on Twitch. I know on Friday I will be streaming Pokemon Snap. Oh, very nice. I look forward it comes to out that. on Friday. Hey guys, this is Blue Player from the Future. Apparently I had the dates wrong for Pokemon Snap. So I will be streaming that starting on the 30th of April when it actually comes out. Well, uh, what's your Twitch handle? Oh, yes. Um, so you'll be able to find me at twitch.tv forward slash J-H-A-L-E, jhale1986. And I know Tony has been going through the Yakuza. somewhat quirky humor of Yakuza Zero on his Twitch, which is yeah, uh, my Twitch is twitch.tv backslash dpadtony, and I've been playing Yakuza a lot recently. It's one of my favorite series, and I've been to Japan twice, so I like to give a little bit of a this is how Japanese things work. This is why this is a popular business in Japan. This is why he said that. This is why they said this. It's a lot of really cool stuff, being able to bridge the gap between small 
things that happen in that game and how they apply to the real world. So not just playing the game and letting people just kind of watch, but you're actually informing them on how much of it's culturally accurate. The game is very culturally accurate and also very accurate with the map. The map, when Sega made that game, is like one-to-one in that area. Wow. They completely recreated the map that the game takes place in to the area in Japan that it takes place in. Very nice. It's super cool. All right. So now that we've gotten all of the self-promoting out of the way. Yeah, all of the shilling (laughs) to Um, ourselves. We, uh, we're here to talk about the future of trading card games. We're on episode three, so that means wow. we've talked about how we got here. We talked about where we are now. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about where we think this whole thing's going. Yeah, because got... we kind of touched about it in the previous episode a bit. We didn't want to get two spoilers into it because there was a lot of things that tie into prices, into speculation of where the games might go. But we didn't want to touch on those notes because we wanted to save it for this. Yes, and on top of that, uh, one of the things we didn't touch almost at all, even though it is kind of part of where games are now, mm-hmm. trading card games are now, is the digital scene. Yeah. There's a whole digital scene of trading card games that's made by these same companies. Mm-hmm. And so we want to talk a little bit about the digital market of Magic the Gathering and Pokemon mm-hmm. and other trading card games that are solely digital Mm -hmm. and even some that have got that started digital and moved into the paper world like eternal chronicles oh wow yeah that was a game by direwolf multimedia they're one of the companies that works with renegade game studios to make some board games i was gonna say that name sounds very familiar yeah there's a box right there on the on the shelf that says clank the little wolf there's direwolf ah in the playroom yeah we have got a digital game that went paper mm-hmm. we've got paper games going digital mm-hmm. but let's talk a little bit about this digital interface because i am only as familiar with the digital side of things as a couple of games on arena and i remember when hearthstone came out with a phone app yeah i was gonna say hearthstone came out around 2014 and it's been in place since then and I've only played recently, actually. I had a friend leave their account open at the D-pad, <laughs> and I decided to when play you it. snuck in. And I snuck in around, and I won, and they were very upset that I won because they hadn't won with that deck yet. And it was fun. It was fun. It was very quick, I feel like. It was easy to get a match in, and the deck themes are still kind of there, I feel like. Okay. Similar to Magic, you can see some cards and you can say, okay, I guess this works well with this, this works well with that. Like, it, it makes sense. Well, I mean, mechanically speaking, it's as close to Magic in a digital form other than the Magic digital form. Yeah, other than Magic Arena, yeah. Uh, Magic Arena came out 2019, late 2019. Yeah, just in time for COVID. Yeah, exactly. They hit it perfect. Part of me thinks... Oh, no, don't say it. Hear me out. This is my This is my Joe Rogan moment, okay? What if... <laughs> Wizards of the Coast engineered the coronavirus just so that they could launch this platform and then have people invest their stimulus packages directly into digital cards. Changed my mind. No, I'm kidding. It's it's so easy to get into the magic arena. You don't even have to spend money to start, but then if you want to get good, you either Not for me, baby, grind. I play red. <laughs> Okay, for those of us that play actual magic colors... What's um, that? (laughs) 
if you want to play in Magic Arena, it's not difficult to get into it. As a matter of fact, they give you, what, like five starter decks to yeah. start out? But you're not going to be very competitive with those mm -hmm. out the gate. But you can grind, or for the lazy man such as myself, you can spend real dollars on digital cards. Mm hmm and from what I understand, people do this in Hearthstone as well, and mm -hmm. it's got its old esports thing. They're spending as, as much as everything's going digital these days. I still find myself hard pressed to spend actual dollars on digital content that I can get for free for just time. Like I understand downloading a game to my PC, right? Yeah, but spending a hundred bucks so I can get some booster packs online. Yeah, it sounds kind of scary. And that comes from me playing a trading card game where getting electronic booster packs came with your physical ones. And it still yeah, does. It still does, yeah. Which is very nice. Pokemon, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know why Wizards of the Coast hasn't jumped on this. Maybe because they're making so much money on people just playing the digital form that they don't feel the need to. I don't yeah. know. What it, do you think? A lot of what TCG people are experiencing with these online platforms and these digital versions of their games is what video gamers have been dealing with for the past maybe five to eight years as far as like physical media versus virtual media when it comes to the virtual market, virtual console versus buying physical copies of a game. And that's the thing that I normally am always stuck on. I have a Switch and I love the games that come out for the Switch. But it's so easy to be in bed and just be like, I'm going to download this game straight to my console versus going out and physically purchasing a copy. But the collector in me goes, I want a physical copy in case I anything want happens. Well, and I want that plastic container that has, yeah. like, I have a shelf next to my video game consoles in my living room that has, mm -hmm. it's like my display of look at these games. Yeah, it looks nice. And that's the thing that a lot of people are having to deal with is... Am I cool with just spending money on digital cards that I'll never hold physically? And one of the big things about trading card games is just that, the ability to trade those cards. Mm -hmm. Or for them, for the, the investors out there that buy these cards and then are able to turn them around years later. Mm -hmm. You're not going to do that with these cards because they only exist digitally. Now, again, with Pokemon, mm -hmm. you can trade those cards. That's cool. One of the biggest currencies on the PTCGO is what they call it, the Pokemon Trading Card Game Online, Okay, is booster packs. Mm -hmm. So people will, when they buy their boxes or cases of the new set when it comes out, they will scan all their codes in and not open the booster packs. Mm. And instead, wait for people that have opened their booster packs or have just an overstock on the quote-unquote staple cards that you need for your online deck or the cards that I need for my Dialga deck. Yeah, whatever right? the current meta is. People will trade away booster packs for singles. And that's kind of the currency on PTCGO. Wow, that's cool. Because there's not really anything like that for Magic Arena currently. There's not. The only currency on there is buying jewels to buy packs, and then those packs will have... Those blanks that you can turn into any mythic or rare or uncommon whenever that happens. but Which is very interesting. It, it's a format that I believe started with certain video games. For me in particular, there was a video game called Super Street Fighter V. And okay. in that game, they gave you the base game. Now, they gave you costumes that you could purchase. But you could purchase them with in-game currency that you earned via playing the game. 
It was probably League of Legends that started it, though. Because okay. League of Legends also gives you points that you earn via playing the game. And you can buy new champions with those points, or you can buy skins with those points, or you can buy different colors with those points. However, you can still f- purchase with money those points. But you get those right. points via playing the game, which is kind of what Magic does. Magic lets you earn points that you may be able to redeem a pack with, but it's very slowly, or you have to grind a lot to get those points, and then you get a pack. See, and some people like me don't have the patience. Yeah. I don't care about sitting at a computer for four or five hours playing digital magic. And it's because I think part of me is just spoiled on the fact that I've been playing magic for so long. Mm-hmm. If I want to build a certain deck, I'll just go get the cards and build it. Mm-hmm. Having to grind out for my cards feels like I'm working too hard for something I already have. But that's me, right? That's, yeah. I'm, I'm not the, I'm, I'm probably not the target audience for Magic Arena. Correct. I think, I think the target audience is definitely the younger generations that are trying to get a game in the, the Battle Royale generation, where people are hopping into a game of Fortnite, Apex Legends, or any of those other quick-paced games where you can just die and then start another game real quick. Arena, especially as a red player, the time that I played Arena, I have never cranked out so many games in a night. Really? It was just rapid fire. If I got a bad hand and I went first, I would move on to the next game because chances are I'm not going to win in red and not playing something good on my first turn in, in competitive standard. Right. Like, you know, right off the bat in competitive standard with red, if you don't get a good first turn, chances are you're probably not going to win, especially if the matchup is standard meta oh absolutely when i was playing modern for all intents and purposes i was playing the green version of burn yeah i was playing infect mono mm-hmm. green infect oh yeah yeah, i remember that deck it de- deals poison counters rather than damage all you need is 10 baby yeah and with that 10 damage they're done mm-hmm. so again for those that aren't avid magic the gathering players when you deal infect damage to a player they get poison counters after they get 10 poison counters they lose the game Normally in a 1v1 magic, 60 card magic, it's 20 life. Yeah. So it's like cutting their life total in half. Mm-hmm. But at the same merit, that deck is built in such a way, if I don't have exactly what I need in play by turn two, which is usually when I win. Yeah. But by turn two, I'll know whether or not I've, I've lost. I don't know where we got off on that tangent from. Well, it, I was going to say that's the beauty of Arena and how they are, their yes. target demographic are the kids who are trying to get crank in games throughout the day they have x amount of time in their day they're going to be able to get 20 games of magic in whereas if you you know go to a card shop physically you have your deck you're kind of awkward around people you don't know and you want to play a game it takes you x amount of time to get a game in and for people that have a fast-paced life they can crank games you know 20 games in a couple hours and that's kind of cool honestly it sucks because it takes out the physical aspect of card games where you know you get to hang out and make friends and there's something about physically holding a card and well for me part of it is looking at my opponent. opponent's face yeah and there's a whole bluffing aspect to this game just like with most card games poker mm-hmm. any any other card game that you play there's a bit of a social necessity you got to see that person you got to be able to read them in in my day job I'm a salesperson so yeah. reading people is part of my job 100% and being able to sit across the table from someone and read their body language while they're telling me that their next turn is going to be great and I can tell whether or not they're being truthful. Yeah. And there's a different atmosphere when you're playing physically. There's uh, It carries over, I think, from video games as well, especially fighting games. Um, the biggest thing that 
Japanese players tend to have over American players in fighting games like Street Fighter or Tekken or any of those games is those games get an arcade release and they get to play next to each other or sitting across from each other and they get to see how their opponents are playing and the biggest thing that I haven't told the guys yet about Third Strike is cabinet feeling. You can feel when someone's going to input a move on the other side of the cabinet and you can feel when you're going to do an input for a Hadouken. So if I can feel that from you and it's coming, I know it's a block or I know to parry. Oh wow. There's a thing called cabinet feeling that's pros usually use it's kind of looked down upon but it's something that can't be helped well i was about to say after so with your experience in arcade machines like literally growing up with a joystick in your hand almost you can't help that no yeah you can't help that it's something that you feel on the machine and it like i said it creates a different atmosphere which i think some of these online players are missing but but at the same merit it might level the playing field for them for someone who's like you said, an introverted person yeah. who's not great at reading people, who doesn't spend time around a bunch of folks because that's not their thing. And some people just mechanically get to shine on Arena if they know how to build a proper deck and they know how to execute the deck. If they're an excellent pilot, they're going to shine in Arena because they have none of the outside pressures. They have none of the weight of playing in a physical field. They're just piloting a deck at that point. And if they're good at that, then that's going to shine real well in Arena. So, as far as the digital world of trading card games, Magic Arena, Hearthstone, Pokemon the Trading Card Game Online, Legends of Runeterra. Yeah. Legends of Runeterra is a new one, isn't it? It's fairly new. It came out uh, April 2020, I believe. Okay. Yeah, it came out April 2020. It's released by Riot, the people who make League of Legends. Right, Runeterra. Runeterra, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's based on their IP, so it has a lot to do lore-wise with their characters, and it looks really fun, honestly. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. I'm very interested in it. Is it one of those free-to-plays? Yes, it is one of those free-to-plays. Okay. So just like League of Legends, it's free-to-play. Exactly. And then if you want the bougie stuff, you can spend money. Yeah, I've seen, a lot of, I've seen a lot of streamers play these games, I think is the thing. If a streamer is playing Magic Arena and they don't have some kind of like exclusive sponsor deals, a lot of times they'll change between these three games just to kind of release the pressure of Arena, I think. If Arena starts getting kind of grindy and monotonous, they'll jump to Hearthstone or they'll jump to Legends of Runeterra to kind of stretch or flex a little bit to kind of get their creative juices flowing and then they'll head back to Arena. You know, I've put off downloading League of Legends because Mm -hmm. from what I understand the community there, there's not a real... How do I say this? The barrier of entry is too high for new players. I have... It's a free game and I haven't downloaded it. I've got... Five extra terabytes on my hard drive. To kind of get on a tangent, just quickly, for those of you that want to get into League of Legends, in my opinion, get into League of Legends, but play up to level 20 if you want to just learn how to play the game and have fun. Play up to level 20 with your friends, and all of those can be games against the computer. They will be very fun, and mechanically they'll teach you how to play the game. However, the minute you get to ranked is when you're going to start playing Smurfs, and Smurfs are people that have like a maxed out account or are in a very different league as far as gameplay mechanics go. They create a brand new account and they end up in the leagues with a lot of the newbies and just crush them and their spirits. So you do run Where into Smurfing. Where does this term Smurf come from? I have no idea. That is something we will have to delve into when we Here's get into Here's what the... I want. If, if you're listening and you are subscribed to our podcast, if you're following us on Instagram... The picture for this podcast is going to be going up on Instagram today, Wednesday, but the podcast probably won't go up for another day or so. It just depends on how long it takes me to edit. Yeah. If you can find me the meaning of Smurf, 
where Smurf came from. We may be able to get a special prize for you from one of our sponsors, the D-Pad. Yeah, that'd be fun. If you're able to, to go onto our Instagram page and on the post related to episode four, let me know where the term Smurf originated and what it where it comes from for League of Legends. We will mail you out, if you're not local, we will mail you out a little gift from the D-Pad. That'll be fun. I think that'd be our, our fun first giveaway, figuring out what Smurf is. Because yeah, it's even used as a verb. I mean, I could Google it right now, but this is more fun. Yeah, that guy's smurfing is what you'll hear a lot of the times. Uh, smurfing. And it means that someone's usually a player at a higher rank than the actual rank that they are playing in. Mm. It kind of works like magic, bronze, silver, That sounds gold. like sharking when you're playing pool or yeah, poker. It is. Or, mm-hmm. But it's, it's smurfing. Okay. It's a way someone, to get around the matchmaking. Someone find out for me where that, that came from and we'll get you a, a special gift from our, our sponsor, the D-Pad. And that might even occur in other games, especially since they're free to play, like Arena. Say you are a platinum player in Arena. Now I open an account on Arena again and I start from bronze and I just start rolling on people. Yeah, that sounds awful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can happen. That's that's kind of what happens with these free-to-play games sometimes. But it's mainly a League of Legends thing. I don't know if I've seen it in Arena. The times that I've played Arena, I've actually had a very good time. It goes very quickly. I'm in the camp that I don't trust the shuffler, though. But that's because I'm old and I don't trust algorithms. These darn computer majigs are trying to tell me that... I am not going to draw a mountain card for two more turns. The idea that they are using a formula to make random is what freaks me out. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's nothing truly random in nature or computers. Yeah. Right? Everything's came from somewhere. We've got... That's a whole esoteric thing. We're not going to go into that. Yeah. But we know that the random nature, quote-unquote, of things can be explained scientifically. Yeah. Nature's got its own algorithms. We just don't know what the programming is. Correct. And that's just what blows my mind as far as, like, I haven't, I haven't seen land in, like, five or six turns. This randomizer is out to get me. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this game. <laughs> I remember playing a game of physical magic with you where we were playing Commander, and I think six turns in, you still only had two lands. Yeah. So, we know it's not just the the computer algorithm. Your decks just might hate you. That's true. <laughs> or it might be that you crank out enough games in a short amount of time that you notice it more. Right. And I think that's, that's a big thing. Comes in. Yeah, uh, th- I think that's a big thing for Commander. Is Commander, you'll you'll see maybe like two or three games in, in a session with your friends. Whereas Arena, I can play 20 games before the night's done, and I'll probably see myself getting land screwed a good amount of times because that's 20 games. Yeah. Like, it's been a long time since I've played 20 games physically. I don't know if I could play 20 games of Magic in a night. That's physically. Arena, baby. <laughs> yeah, physically. It, physically, it's... I don't think I could do it. Nah. Ugh. But that's what these kids are going through with Arena. It, it's like a training ground. Get ready to sit. We've talked about the digital formats, but where is this going? Where do you see, oh, Red Player, hmm. the, these digital formats going? It's scary. We we kind of buried the lead in the previous episode that I do. I am one of the founders of the D-pad. Right. And the scariest thing you see as a person who sells card games and sells board games and stuff like that is when a company says we want to switch to digital. That's always the scary thing. And with Wizards, it's especially scary because they want to provide you with a lot of stuff and they want you to be a good LGS so people can buy their product. However, 
them starting Magic the Gathering Arena is such a double-edged blade because it is very cool to see and it gets a lot of new people into the game. However, when does it get to the point where Wizard says, physical product is costing us too much money and we're making a lot of money on Arena. Why not just switch to the digital market? And see, that's where the World of Warcraft trading card game went. Yeah. Right? It, it played its way out for seven years, and they said, hold on, let's make this digital like the rest of our stuff. Mm -hmm. Granted, that was coming from a digital company going into the physical world and then going back to digital, kind of their safe space. Now, me personally, and again, just like the beginning of the episode says, all of these statements are just postulation. These are conjecture. This is simply our take best guess, mm -hmm. right? If any of this stuff happens in the future cool we're actually wizards yeah otherwise take it for what it is i don't see wizards of the coast getting rid of physical product now that being said this next generation of folks growing up are facing so much screen time and digital interfacing with the world around them that 20 years from now when my kids are having kids mm -hmm. we may look back at playing digital game or sorry physical games as a fond memory yeah you know my daughter does all of her homework on an ipad yeah more than half the kids in the nation going to school on an ipad yeah when does the physical world and the digital world see that trade-off and i know for myself i need physical interaction with people mm -hmm. i gotta see people in real life yeah I can't do this whole screen, FaceTime, Zoom meeting thing to get my social interactions. Mm -hmm. I've got to I've got to be around people. That's where you get the discussion of human nature, right? Like we are a group style of primates. Primates, yeah. yeah. It's about being in a group. And I mean it boils down to, you know, evolutionary links. It was safer in caveman Ungabunga times. Yeah. To be part of the group mm -hmm. because there's safety in numbers. When the saber-toothed cat comes out at night, you want to make sure that you're part of the group where someone's on watch. Yeah, you got you squat up, yeah. Human nature, you know, let's fast forward a couple billion years, and we still need to be around other people. Mm -hmm. It's part of that evolutionary drive, but I know for me as an extreme extrovert, I would be able to chug a case of monsters. Yeah. And then pass right out if there's no people around me. <laughs> but I could work a 16-hour day. And I know because I used to do it when I was a restaurant manager. Yeah. I'd work 16-hour days, go out to the bar, be dog-tired. But because all my friends and the people that I hung out with, my drinking buddies were there, I stayed up another six hours. Yeah. I irresponsibly. mean, that's how it is with Commander. <laughs> uh, Commander, it could be 10 p.m., we're playing a game and then jump cut four or five hours and we're way past our bedtime. Yeah, and for us old people, that bedtime gets earlier and earlier. Yeah. It gets even earlier when you have kids, Tony. You don't oh, know about that. Nah, I'm still riding that line. I'm still posing as a youngin. See, my bedtime when I'm not being a nerd. Uh, do I stop being a nerd? Anyway, nah. sorry, that's another conversation. But I'll, I have no problem going to bed when my kids go to bed at 730. That's incredible. I would love that. <laughs> I would love it, but I don't want it. <laughs> My body would love it, but I don't want it. Yeah, your body would love it, but your 
young at heart brain would go, no, there's things you can do. What I am kind of excited for that I would hate to see physical media go away, especially in the terms of card games, would be that crispy make-believe Yu-Gi-Oh scenario where we're all wearing VR headsets and we're playing Magic the Gathering on a VR landscape. That would be fantastic. Like throwing the creature out onto the field physically and then watching it go after your opponent because they don't have anyone to block it. Like putting the card down and then the creature is summoned. Yeah. And you're seeing it in your VR headset. That would be so cool. Oh, absolutely. As as a as an owner of a VR headset, I so I own it. My wife is <laughs> big into Beat Saber. She loves that. Oh game. my gosh, that's amazing. So for Christmas this last year, I got her the Quest. That's so the cool. Quest Two, whatever, whatever the newest one was at the time. Yeah. During Black Friday, I was able to pick one up. Nice. Those things are cool. Yeah, man. Beat Saber's <laughs> awesome, dude. <laughs> Beat Saber's really cool. I was able to download like a package of Star Wars games Ooh. where like one of them is you're trying to help Darth Vader find some hidden Sith relic. Yeah. It's crazy. That's pretty crazy. And I think card games could tap into that market. It'd be interesting. I've seen the the augmented reality stuff with yeah. with different cards and things. Oh yeah. When the DS came out and they had those cards, the 3DS came out and they had those cards that came in every new 3DS that would just pop up and hey, here's the little question mark block. Look, it's in your living room, but it's not. Well, the whole cool premise of arena is you're each sitting on separate sides of an actual arena and there's a crowd of people and they're cheering you on and your cards are displayed out in front of you. They just need to pop that into a headset and animate the crowd around you can you imagine hearing the cheers of a crowd monster coming out of the card that would be insane so hear me out watsy i know we talked to you last time (laughs) scrap arena yeah start over add vr that is all it's such a weird position because there's always going to be that issue of selling product again i think we're virtual secondary market secondary market i feel like the place where a lot of companies get caught up in is how to deal with the secondary market because it comes down to economics. For people who play video games, a physical copy is nice because you can take that video game and trade it in for store credit and then get another game at a cheaper price. And it's great for the video game store owner because yeah. they're able to resell certain games mm-hmm. for more than they were originally worth. Correct. I know right now if someone walked into the D-pad mm-hmm. And you were on shift, and they handed in an inbox copy of Earthbound. Bah, uh, yeah. You'd be like, hey, welcome. You would say, hey, here's half the store. Have fun. Yeah, whatever you want, baby. <laughs> you tell me what you need. Welcome to That's the That's like walking into Vegas and putting down $20,000 on the table. Yeah. You it, know. It, instantly, um, 100% a big thing to do when you go yeah. into a game store with stuff like that. And that's the nice thing about a secondary market. And... It's the elephant in the room that companies don't want to address because it happens with other things. Like, I believe Sony just got rid of their virtual console for some of their past systems. PS3 and PS Vita. Yes. Yeah. And you cannot get any more updates, any more digital content for either of those systems. And those people, when they bought those systems, those people banked on having access to those digital copies of games that they purchased onto those consoles and to be able to play those games as long as they could. Now that they're out that, they should have just gotten a physical copy to begin with. Well, so from what I understand, the digital copies don't necessarily go away, but yeah. if it bugs out, it bugs out. Yeah. You're, you're, you're toast. Mm-hmm. The thing about digital markets as well is a company can take something that they've made a long time ago and then resell it digitally to make that fresh money again. 
the movie industry for the past, I don't know, as long as I've been alive, has been remaking old movies over and over and over again. Yeah, that's very true. And now we're in this phase where it feels like all the games that I played in the 90s are now HD remasters. Yeah, that is a thing, for sure. We got Spyro, we got Crash, we got all of those. Heck, Skyward Sword. That's yeah. a 2000s game. Yeah, Link's Awakening. That's oh, forever. Man, but that one's such a good one. Yeah. No, it's cool when it happens, for sure. Like, sometimes it, they, they get a good hit. Yeah. And we're seeing remasters in trading card games. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That's insane. I never thought... I didn't expect that from WotC. I mean, I should have expected it, but... They've had master sets before. Like, reprinting a card yeah. is way more common than a video game being re-released. Yeah, for sure. But having an entire block, quote-unquote, remastered... Yeah. That was the first time that's happened in trading card game history. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I'll tell you, it was a it was one of my favorite box openings that I've ever done. That's it's opening cool. up a box of Time Spiral Remastered. So I really wish that MTG would jump on the same free pack with your pack bandwagon that Pokemon's been on since the inception of their online game. I think that moving the packs out of those F&M packs and into actual magic packs where I can buy... My $4 standard pack, and then instead of some ad card or a token, I would get an online code? Yeah, I think that would make sense. I'd buy more magic. Yeah, I know it's further down the line if it ever happens, but I still feel like I doubt it will happen due to the implications of something like that. But it would be nice, especially with phone technology getting very, very good, if there was a way to just scan your card and you get a virtual card. I know with, at least with the Pokemon trading card game, you can scan the code to put your pack in. Yeah, that even that would be nice, I guess. But I know with... Oh, you're talking about like scanning your physical card. Yeah. Like, here's my Mox Diamond. Mm -hmm. I'm going to scan this. Now I've got the Mox Diamond so I can play with it in Historic. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think that'd be very cool. That would be really neat. I, I don't know... Especially if Wizards could maybe tie it to like one card per account or if they did like... I assume with the newer cards, they trace each card with some type of, like, that little shiny thing at the bottom. Oh, yeah, the stamp. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe the stamp at the bottom probably indicates, like, this is this card. So, that is, that stamp is for rarities. And the little you, shiny one at the very bottom, yeah, that little, like, circle? That's Yeah, all that is is to denote that that card is either mythic or rare. Huh. So, but, RFID tags... Are not hard to install in things. Yeah. And I feel like there'd be a one... cool way to just put it on the card and then... I mean, because phones are so good now. Like, oh, I, could, I could scan an exact image of a card on my phone and you could just plop that into the game and then poof, there you go. It's kind of like this TCG app. You scan it and it pulls up the card. Right. So why not be able to scan it and it goes into the game? Well, because then they can't sell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it goes back to them. I mean, at the end of the day, we understand that they're still a business. Yeah, for right. sure. But there's got to be a way to capitalize on that. That that sounds like too much of a good idea. So we've talked a lot about the digital game. Let's talk about the physical game and where it's going to be 5, 10, 15 years. What happens with the paper if the digital takes off, yeah? Well, so there are some games that I think will never physically go away. I don't ever see physical magic going away. There's been way too much of a precedence by now. They, they've been around for 28 years. We're two years away from whatever 30th anniversary nonsense they're going to sell us. Yeah. You know? And we're, good, we're at the point now where Pokemon's such a collectible physical media 
mm-hmm. with these trendsetters, the content creators, yeah, outside influencers, Twitch streamers, yeah, they're all busting open even on a digital platform like Twitch or YouTube physical product. Mm-hmm. It's almost become like a retroactive form of clout for a lot of these streamers. Again, uh, I call back to him because I feel like he's been the most popular of them. His name is Miskiff. He's okay. a pretty popular Twitch streamer in general, but he has a lot of collectible stuff behind him. He has right. I noticed he has like a Pokemon Yellow complete in box, Pokemon Red complete in box, and he has them all hanging up graded behind him in nice. his camera. And he was one of the people who first started opening Pokemon cards on Twitch. Okay. Right after, I believe, Logan Paul and them kind of did it. I think he was the first streamer who bit onto that hook and was like, this is going to be big. I'm going to do it as well. And he's been getting very, very popular for it. And he was one of the few people that was kind of consistently opening packs and booster boxes for Pokemon on his stream. And I think now some of these streamers are using it as a form of clout to kind of be like, look at this rare card that I have. (laughs) I feel like some of these card games are a way for kids to socialize with each other right and i feel like especially with pokemon because they do such a good job of it it cultivates a nice community of young people playing a card game and kind of sharing memories and stuff like that where you kind of lose that with an online version of the game i think we're gonna see a rise in that shift from moving from digital to physical people that aren't into magic the gathering or pokemon the trading card game or Yu-Gi-Oh or any of these other trading card games that have an online platform it's a great first step yeah, into the game. And then if you want to learn more about it, if you want to have that sensation of the physical game, I'm fairly certain you're just one click away on Magic Arena from the Wizards Play Network so you can find your local store. Yeah, 100%. And a lot of these online card games are a good segue into getting into physical card games. Even just some of the other games... You, I feel like we get a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh players that start playing Magic. The times that I've seen people jump ship on games, whether most of the time when I see that, it is moving from a new up-and-coming game from mm. Yu-Gi-Oh or Magic or Pokemon. Yeah. Or if they're jumping ship from one of the big three to another one of the big three, mm-hmm. a lot of the time it's because they've had a bad experience with the community and mm-hmm. they're looking for a new community cuz typically if you're one of those diehard fans of Pokemon, yeah, right? You're you you're playing the game, you've got a lot invested in it. It's a lot to go, I'm not going to play this game anymore. I've spent XYZ dollars. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to go get rid of it at my local game store for 60% of what it's worth. Yeah. And start a whole new thing. Yeah. And I really think that one of the big driving forces behind going from Yu-Gi-Oh! Magic or Pokemon to one of the others is I've had a bad experience with this community. Mm -hmm. It's a lot less about I'm just tired of this game. Although I could see that happening too. Yeah. You know. But nine times out of ten, I'd I'd point it at I had a bad experience with another player. Mm -hmm. Or for someone like me... I got married and now I have to be responsible. So instead of me playing competitive Pokemon or going to magic tournaments, I get into one of the more casual formats like Commander. Yeah, for sure. And Commander, I think genuinely, despite how many games you get in the night, you're going to at least have a fun time. Oh, absolutely. There's, There's no doubt in my mind that if I were to snap my fingers and have unlimited time, Mm -hmm. where 
my family was being taken care of physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and mm -hmm. I was able to do anything I wanted. Yeah. Also, I'd still probably stick with the casual formats. Yeah, for because sure. Because there's a certain there's a certain moment in gaming in general where you kind of bridge that or you, or you you come to that crossroads of is this fun or is this work? Yeah. And if it's so much work that it's not fun anymore, why am I playing it? Because yes. this is escapism. This is yeah. diversion. We need a break. Yeah, and I don't want to I don't want my game to be work. So that's why I play the formats that I play. Now, one of the things about the future of these games is format changes. Yeah. Right? Tournament scenes. We get a new format from Wizards, it feels like, every year. The yeah. Gladiator's the new one that I'm sure uh, is going to fall flat on its face, just like, like Pioneer it. and I even heard Brawl. Of and Yeah, Gladiator is the new format that oh is going to get zero support and then fall off. What even is it? Have they announced what it's supposed to um, be? I think uh, Brian Lewis, the, the professor from Tolarian Academy, has a video on okay, it. Okay, I'll probably have to watch that then, because that sounds interesting. Well, and I'm sure it's some, hey, we're going to try and make Commander competitive so we can have uh, events kind of thing. You know, I it's The funny. last three formats they've done, I feel like, have been a, hey, there's this format that people play real casually. Let's see if we can make more money off of people's competitiveness. It's funny, the, the guys and I were talking about like a fun way to start a new format, and I think I inadvertently had made Pioneer. <laughs> and Nathan was like, that's just Pioneer. And I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> I was like, I want to play modern, but I want to have fun. And <laughs> Sounds like Pioneer to me. Yeah. <laughs> so it, we are getting these different types of formats. The tournament scene, this definitely is going to play into where these card games are going. As far as physical media goes, yeah? Oh, absolutely. There's, If there is a way for them to continue to print cards and make money, mm -hmm. I don't see them stopping. For sure. When the market dries up on physical media, only time will tell on that. And I feel like the more we move into the digital age, mm -hmm. we're there. I mean, we've, we've been in the digital age since the 90s. Yeah. But it's becoming more commonplace for those digital forms of media now to slowly start replacing your physical media our conference rooms have become a zoom call or a microsoft teams meeting yeah we don't even have to go to conventions physically anymore they've got digital conventions i know because in my job i've been at my quote-unquote digital booth had to do it last year during covid yeah and i was able to talk to customers one-on-one -on -one. i got some sales off of it it was one of those things where now that we're finding out how much physical we can replace with digital the real question that we've got to ask ourselves is where does it stop yeah we can just keep going i mean i last year during covid i dm'd for a convention i was sitting in a discord channel just waiting for players to come in they came in and i dm'd a session for them it yeah. was weird but it was kind of cool too i didn't know any of them we all introduced ourselves and we played a fun kind of like a, a shotgun version of D, &D. it's called neon and chrome i believe all you need is one die and you can play the game oh wow it's very cool it's a very fast paced very cool dming tool it i think it teaches a lot of dms to kind of think on their feet we'll have to play it at some point i think it's actually kind of cool. oh absolutely and so for those of you that don't know we both dm games regularly tony 
does his where you can even watch on uh, his Twitch channel. Yeah, right now we're taking a, a small break due to things that I have to do in life, but typically on Thursdays I stream D&D where I am a DM for several, two different groups. One group is three players, one group is five players. I'll tell you, as far as tabletop gaming goes, we're moving into a golden age of it. Yeah. The, I feel like the trading card games are going to be populated more and more, mm -hmm. and that's going to transition people into these big cardboard boxes that I have sitting on my shelves too because most stores that have Magic the Gathering product mm -hmm. also have a board game section. And speaking yeah. of segues into board gaming, <laughs> yeah, we missed our Red Player Learn segment at the beginning oh. of the episode, so I figured we'd cover it now. Oh yeah, we can definitely do so that. So this week on Red Player Learns, yeah. Red Player Learned Stone Age. Tell us about it. Stone Age was cool. Stone <laughs> Age was fun. I had never played a game like that before. It had a lot of different elements that I have also not experienced, just because my board game knowledge is very limited, but it was fantastic. I thought the resource management was very, very fun. I thought the counterplay was very fun. It had a very chess-like feel where you have to take certain resources from the other player in order to block them from getting what they need. While simultaneously being able to utilize those later. Yeah, it felt like a very elevated version, not elevated version of chess because chess is a very complicated game and you can play chess a thousand different ways, but it, it definitely felt like integrating a mind game within a board game that on face value is very, very fun. Oh, absolutely. So for those of you that don't know, Stone Age is a very, very old board game. And by old, I mean it was, let me uh, double check on the publisher's website, but it's a worker placement game by... Z produced by Z-Man Games. Uh, they are very well known throughout the board gaming universe. Uh, they are now under the Asmodee umbrella. And funny thing is, whenever Z-Man went corporate with Asmodee, they had a, a group of people that didn't want to do that. They didn't want to quote-unquote sell out, right? Ah, uh, yeah. That's a big... So uh, that's a they big started their own company called Plan B because that company was Plan B to Z-Man. Ah. So, um, here we go. Yeah, Stone Age came out in 2008 originally. Hmm. But now Plan B Games just signed a contract with Asmodee. Ah, Asmodee. So now Plan B and Asmo and Z-Man, which were once the same company, are now back under the same umbrella. That's hilarious. <laughs> I was telling John, we normally get a magazine about board games that comes into the shop because we sell board games and card games and stuff like that. And I always remembered seeing the Stone Age ad in this magazine and laughing and being like, who would play that game? And then John has talked me into playing that game, and I actually had a really good time. It was a very fun game. And I'll tell you, one of the great things about it is being one of the quote-unquote grandfathers of a mechanism. Yeah. So the very first worker placement game, this is a worker placement game. You send workers out into, on the board to gather your resources for you. So you place them in different sections of the board, and depending on where you place them, you get certain XYZ resource worker placement. The original mm -hmm. one, Kalis, I want to say that came out just a few years before yeah. Stone Age. 2005. So 2005 Kalis comes out. Three years later, uh, Z-Man Games comes out with Stone Age. And, oh, I'm sorry, the original producer was uh, Hans & Gluck, which is a German company, the same company that came out with Carcassonne in 2000, ah. and then Z-Man Games took over the, I guess they took over the the rights for the 
U.S. distribution of the game. Interesting. One of the things that being one of these newer games or this up-and-coming version of this is you get to really benefit from no one playing a game like you and you don't have to innovate on top of it so much nowadays worker placement games when you have a game that has worker placement instead of the game being about worker placement solely worker placement is this small part of the board game mm -hmm. because no one wants to just play a cut dry worker placement game we've been doing that since 2005 yeah we're ready we're 16 years down the road i'm ready for this to be just a small mechanism just like mancala not a lot of people in the hobby gaming, which is what we call these board games that aren't, you know, Milton Bradley, Hasbro, cookie cutter, find it at Walmart board games. Yeah, Monopoly, Shoots and Ladders, that kind of stuff. Yeah, hobby games, games that are made for people that consider this their hobby. Um, we've been playing worker placement long enough. Now we want to have a worker placement where you place a worker to draft a card for the deck that you're building mm -hmm. while you're managing resources and having to draft in between turns. Yeah. Because... You know, we never have enough. Yeah, you guys need more and more. You guys need to keep piling on the mechanics. Well, yeah, so you don't go crazy. Each, because otherwise, I've got if I have one worker placement game, well, and another? why do I need why do I need your worker placement game? What separates it from the other one? Ah, uh, yeah, that you makes know? sense. And so, with Stone Age it being one of the originals, it's still to this day, in my personal opinion, is a cut above some of these ones that are coming out now. It's not by far not my favorite worker placement game. Mm-hmm. But as just a straight worker placement, it's a phenomenal game. Yeah, it was very fun, and I hope I didn't have the look of my eyes glazing over while you were explaining the rules. I was just trying to focus and pay attention. But once you get into the game, it's very easy to get into, and it's very quick to kind of pick up. You kind of, probably by the third or fourth turn of putting your workers out, you got an idea of what you need to do in order to further your placement in the game and one of the one of the beautiful parts about these intro level games quote unquote it's very it seems very snooty of me to say that kind of stuff because i definitely don't want people to think that oh well yeah that's just an intro level game if stone age is a super difficult like big brain thinking game and that's as far as you ever go in board gaming mm -hmm. i'm not here to yuck you're yum yeah like if stone age is your game play stone age right but one of the great things about this, teaching someone about hobby gaming and teaching someone about moving past just rolling a die and moving a piece, you've got to introduce them to this whole new world also. Yeah. And the way that you do that is having some of these grandfather games out. Mm -hmm. I've got Stone Age because eventually I want to teach Tony how to play Champions of Midgard or yeah. Chimera Station. And the only way I'm going to be able to say, hey, this is a worker placement game, so you'll recognize some of these mechanics is if you've played a worker placement game before. Yeah, like, this is kind of like Stone Age. And I go, oh, okay, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, but then whenever we bust out Chimera Station, you can mutate your workers so that oh. they can, instead of you not being able to go to that spot because I have a worker there, you can put the crab claws on him and knock my character out. Ah. <laughs> I was trying to tell John that the game fate felt very similar to a mixture for those of you video game players out there it felt very similar to a mixture of don't starve and maybe even like starcraft like, very very let's, build your let's build a resource farming. let's farm let's do this kind of stuff and then we can start making moves so it was very very cool i think in general i enjoyed the game i would probably play it again i even told john i was kind of excited to maybe play it with like up to four people because it is a two to four player game it is a two to four player game it is a competitive game so it's not us versus the board there is a winner, there is a loser. Mm -hmm. 
And this was one that Tony won. Yeah, I actually won one. Yeah, that's good. You helped with the math, I would like to say. But well, yeah. <laughs> I one of the things that I have a hard time doing whenever I'm teaching a new-to-board gaming person is I have a bad habit of quarterbacking their turn. <laughs> where I go, okay, no matter what you think you need to do, you're wrong, here's how you need to do it. <laughs> and I, I try not to be that guy, but at a certain point, my brain just goes bananas and I have to. So with that being said, I think... Oh yes, we were talking about the two to four player thing. So a lot of board games that say two to four players... Yeah. They're saying that so you'll buy the game. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. There are games where it says two to four players on the box. If you play that game with two players, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. I have a game on my shelf, Ecos. Phenomenal game. Yeah. Love that game. It says two to six players... If you play that game with two people, you're not gonna you're not gonna play it again. Yeah, game is terrible with two people. Ah, that it's might be a good barely episode. okay with three people. Yeah, it starts to get sufferable with four, and it's best with five. Okay, interesting. And the the great thing, the online resource board game geek that's been around since the I think 2000 was its inception. Yeah, so it's 21 years old now. Wow. One of the things I like about it is you can go on here and it tells you. What the box says, so for Stone Age, mm -hmm. it says it's two to four players based on what the internet says. Yeah. And then the community, the people on Board Game Geek, okay. say that it's a two to four player game. And then it says best. And it'll tell you what, on average, I can go in here and vote on how many players I think you should play the game with. Yeah. And right now the community says Stone Age is best with four, and I couldn't agree more. That makes sense. The more people in that game, the better. It was already fun with two, so I would be excited to play with four people at some point. Oh, I, I definitely think that we will. I, that won't be hard to do. I'd imagine so. The best thing about this podcast is being able to go through and learn these games. I think it's very, very fun. So I think we've covered just about the future of trading card games yeah the only thing i do have to say because we brought it up last episode we talked about it for what seemed like an extended time last episode but i can't say it again watsy if you're listening the reserve list is a lie oh my god of course get rid of it and give me a remaster set like you did with time spiral but ooh, but the reserve list remastered hear me out do it Oh, man. Could you imagine? It would be so weird. It would be so sweet. There was a guy, I want to say it was under the Commander subreddit on Reddit, that had a long post about reprinting cards that are like 20 and above or something like that. Like, destroying the scarcity of Commander staples that are 20 and above. Yeah. I don't hear anyone crying about Psychrift getting a reprint in Double Masters. I remember when that card was 6 or $7 and then it blew up and it was at $40, $50 and we got one reprint. And then we got another reprint. And now we have our fourth reprint of the card. The card's back up again already. You know what I will say? I was very firmly in the camp of like, mm, let's leave the reserve list alone and let's make things that are hard to get hard to get because I feel like sometimes they earn those spots. Like it's a good enough card. If you see it flood the market, you're going to kind of get annoyed with it. However, comma, I will say now that I've thought about it, being in a pot of four and being a mono-red player, as I am, there are certain interactions that I do not have access to. And when I see somebody with a color that does have those interactions, like blue, if you are playing the color blue and you are not running Psych Rift, I could not be more upset at the table. 
<laughs> because I need you to have that interaction in case somebody else is going bananas on the board. If the board needs to be taken care of and a psych rift needs to happen, I will vote yes on that psych rift 100% of the time. Right. But if somebody doesn't have that card because it's too expensive, then that sucks. Yeah. So it does kind of make sense. If a card is too expensive and it disrupts the interactions of a pod, then yeah, maybe we do need to vi- revisit pricing for these cards and maybe make it more accessible because you're only shortchanging the pod. The interactions aren't going to be as best as they could be if people are missing cards because they're too expensive. And that's where we get into this whole thing. I really think we could honestly have all episode on the reserve list and we might someday. Yeah. I think that's going to do it for this episode. Mm -hmm. I do want to say again, thank you so much for making it all the way to the end. Yeah. Remember to tell me what Smurfs are. Yeah. And we will be able to pick someone to send a little gift out to. If you're not following us on Instagram, that's where you will get your news on when these podcasts come out. When either myself or Red Player are streaming, as well as our Patreon posts and soon to be coming our YouTube posts. Mm, That's going to be fun. So until next time, episode five what it takes to run a game store. Oh. This has been John Blue Player. And this has been Tony Red Player. See you next time. So normally, for those of you listening that don't uh, play Commander or Magic the Gathering itself, in a game of Commander, um, you start out with 40 life. Uh, In a 1v1, you start out with 30. All right, and we're going to roll to see who goes first. Oh, Tony got an 8. Yes. Let's see if I can do better. (laughs) I cannot. That's a 4. So you get to choose play or draw. Uh, I will be on the play. All right.